Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armin Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski, and today we have the one and only master of all things demo, more Asolin. Nick, why should people listen? Well, if you're a salesperson, there is a very, very good chance that part of your job involves showing demos or presentations, and they make or break your sale. If you show a crummy demo, you probably ain't getting the deal. If you show a decent demo you probably have a pretty good chance of closing it. But there are so many demo pitfalls and so many things that you need to do pre and during demo to make sure that it succeeds. More takes us through them all. Three, two, one, decent demo. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is gonna take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's gonna take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang and you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. All right, more. Welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Yeah. Takeaway number one, justifying your questions. So sometimes when you're, you want to ask a prospect a question during disco or demo, the prospect 
puts up their guard. And a real an example of this, when I was coaching AEs, when they would ask about the competitor that the prospect is evaluating, they wouldn't feel comfortable opening up. So by justifying the question and then aligning that justification to their benefit, you're more likely to get them to, to respond. So an example of this would be like, let's say you want to ask the prospect about what competitor they're, they're evaluating besides your solution. You can say, hey, Armand, besides let's call it HubSpot. Besides HubSpot, who else are you evaluating? This way I'm able to compare and contrast for you throughout the call for your due diligence. What's number two? All right. Tip number two or takeaway number two, um, continuous discovery throughout the demo. So instead of a, a lot of times you're on a demo and you're asking, do you have any questions about what I just showed you? That isn't engaging. So the point of continuous discovery is to create more engaging conversation. So an example of this is instead of asking, do you have any questions about what I just showed you? After you show the feature, you say, Based on what I just showed you, how does this compare to what you were doing before? Beautiful. Round us out more. What's number three? Takeaway number three, proactively listen more than you actively listen. Being able to read between the lines when a prospect is speaking gives you x-ray vision. And I'll say this quote because I love it. JP Morgan said, a person has two reasons for doing anything, a good reason and the real reason. So an example of this is real world example. You ask a prospect on a demo, uh, what's the reason you're looking to leave the solution that you're currently using? And they'll respond, well, every time we reach out to their customer support, they constantly have to take our ticket and put it up to the next tier and we never get a response in time. And so a, a sales rep that's actively listening writes down on their notes, oh wow, this prospect is looking for good customer support. The proactive listener says, hold on, wait a minute. Why are you having to reach out to customer support every time? What's the real reason you're, you're saying that? All righty, Moore, you're the demo master. Let's take it from the top. I'm on a 30, 60 minute demonstration. Naturally, I don't start those calls by sharing my screen and jumping right in. What's the right way to kick off and set the stage for a demo before you get into it? So typically when I start the demo, I don't necessarily jump straight into disco. Um, there's a level of rapport building. And so what I don't like to do and what I hate when people do is they ask the obvious questions that they could have found out before the call. Like, you know, uh, how long have you been working at the company? Where are you based out of? Like these types of questions you can find out on LinkedIn and you could do due diligence. So what I would recommend is instead of doing that, or, and what I've done is when you start the demo, Tell them what you already know. And sometimes building rapport just naturally comes into play. Like if I get on a call with Nick and he's a prospect, I'm not like, and I notice he's sitting on a gaming chair. I'm not going to be like, all right, Nick, uh, I appreciate you, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say, Nick, I appreciate you jumping on. Uh, by the way, are you a gamer? And I'll, I may just start there. And then it'll transition into, all right, awesome. By the way, we have you know 30 minutes on the call. I want to be mindful of your time. Do you have a hard stop? Yes, yes, okay. Um, let me tell you what I know about you so far, and you tell me what I've, I've missed. And then I'll go into the information, that the due diligence that I've done. And then I'll naturally transition into discovery. I don't like to say, hey, let me uh, let me ask you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a couple of questions first. I don't like doing that because it, it creates an interrogation, less of a conversation. So I'll just transition. I'll say something like, um, by the way, Armand, curious, um, who are you using right now for your solution? I'll just use the word curious. Who are you using for your solution? And that's naturally going to set you into the motion of discovery. Well, what you're doing from a rapport building perspective, and I'll tell you, I'm not a big gamer. I was recommended this chair by my wonderful friend, Devin Reed from Gong, and now everybody asks me if I'm a gamer. <laughs> but what you've done is like, you're setting the stage in the beginning that, hey, you're not the sales rep who's just coming in cold. I love to start sales meetings where it's like, hey, I was doing some research to prepare for this meeting, and I actually stumbled across your blog, and I noticed these three things that like, it's totally unrelated to even what 
their actual job that you're trying to sell to is. But what you're showing is, hey, I did some research. And then if they're the type of person who like wants to build rapport, they're going to lean in heavily to that. You can even preface it and say, hey, I know sometimes when you have initial meetings with sales reps or, you know, we get to these meetings, like you have to go through the whole life story of your company and explain what you guys do and how your business works. I did some research. Here's what I know. Can you help me fill in some of the gaps? Okay, so my question for you is, let's say you're in that meeting now and they start giving you examples like you gave in that takeaway about support. What are you doing from there? Yeah, great question. So I'm going to repeat the example again just for for people that are listening. So um, this was a real-world example. Um, On a demo, ask the prospect, let's say Armand. I would say, hey, Armand, um, out of curiosity, what's the reason you're looking to leave HubSpot? And Armand would say, the reason why we're looking to leave HubSpot, oh, you don't even want to start. Every time we reach out to customer support, they're giving us the runaround, our tickets get uh, up, uh, what do you call it, pushed off to another tier, and we never get a response in time. And so the active listener says, okay, well, clearly Armand is looking for really good customer support. He's in luck. And so what an AE will say, we're like, well, you've come to the right place. We have 24-7 customer support. Um, and it's not the way to do it. And so proactive listening says, hold on, wait a minute. Let's, let's observe what Armand just said. Every time he reaches out to customer support, he gets the runaround and that's triggering him to leave. Well, what's the reason that he's reaching out to customer support in the first place? And in order to like think of it like that, you have to get really curious and you have to observe what the words that he's saying. And so I would ask Armand, like, Armand, out of curiosity, what's the reason that you have to reach out to customer support in the first place all the time? And I don't know what Armand's going to say, but he may say something well, like, well, we're trying to do this functionality, but we're not able to. And then now I'm able to dig a little bit deeper. Tell me more about that functionality. And then what he's actually looking for is a particular feature that maybe that particular software doesn't have and where maybe we do have. And then I'll ask him, why is he looking for that feature? What's he trying to accomplish with that feature? And so by proactively listening, you're actually digging to, digging to the source. Um, you're getting the real reason, which is way more important than the surface level reason. Well, what a lot of people screw up is we start the calls with, why'd you take the call? Or how are you doing things today, right? And someone might say, I'm on HubSpot and it doesn't feel like it's scaling well. And they want to pitch right away. Mm. We scale well, right? Yeah. But that's not a real reason that they're taking the call. HubSpot not scaling isn't enough. Or we've thought about moving to another solution is not enough. That's the tip of the iceberg. And you need to pull them and be comfortable asking why three more times to get to why HubSpot is not scalable in the first place. And so, more once you've gotten to the bottom of that iceberg... I guess, how do you know you've done enough discovery? Or is there a moment where you stop to tell a story because you don't want to pull them too deep or interrogate them too much? Yeah, so a couple of ways. If I, the, I mean, the way I know if that is the bottom of the iceberg, I will repeat back to them a summary of what I understood that is their number one challenge. So I would say something like, hey, Armand, so based on you wanting to leave HubSpot, it sounds like the, the real challenge for you, the number one challenge is... X. Am I author or did I get that right? And they'll say, exactly. And so I know now that's the number one challenge. And if I want to find out if there are anything else besides that challenge, what else are you dealing with that you, that's causing you to look elsewhere? If they say, oh, nothing else, that's it. Great. If they say, well, we have this and this and that. Okay. Out of those three things, would you still say that that first challenge is still priority for you or those other challenges are priority? And so I'm just using their information and repeating it back to them. And if I feel like I'm digging and if I'm like interrogating, I will call myself out. I'm like, by the way, Armand, I I feel like I'm interrogating. I'm sorry, by the way. I'm just trying to understand that way I can not show you the stuff that's not going to work for you. Right? I'll call myself out. 
One of the things I really love that you're doing is you're justifying the reason for your question. Something that I've been thinking about a lot as a salesperson is that anytime I have an ask of the customer, whether it's a question or I'm asking them to do something, I need to incentivize them to agree with that and to, to behave in a certain way. So if I'm asking a question, there needs to be an incentive for the customer to answer that question. If I'm asking them to see a demo, there needs to be an incentive for them to see the demo. The example you gave in the beginning of the show was, hey, can you tell me about X? So that way in the demo, I can compare and contrast for you. That incentivizes them to give you the information you're looking for because they get a better demo. I'm curious, like, are there other examples that you have of like justifying your questions to get the customer to give you even more real information? Yeah, I mean, so a lot of times it's the next steps part. And so like that's like usually towards the end of the demo where you'll ask the classic untrained sales rep will say like, all right, as far as like next steps, so I, when does it work for you to follow up? And so it just it's a generic follow-up question. And so sometimes a, a prospect will ask you a question on a demo that you may not have the answer to, that you'll get back to them with more details. And so you can leverage that as an excuse to follow up. And that could be the justification of the question. So for example, I could say something like, Nick, you, um, as far as next step, you, had, you asked me a question earlier, I'll find out more details for you. Let's set a time on the calendar for Tuesday at 2 p.m. This way we can cover the details to that question that you just asked. Let's go all the way back to, hey, we're live in the software. You're not doing a 60-minute speech between you and the software. You're asking questions along the way. What are the types of questions or what are some examples that we can use to keep customers engaged throughout the demo? Yeah, great question. So in, so instead of just asking, do you have any questions or does that make sense? You'd want to get them to be to open up a little bit more. So I mentioned one thing before, like, Beside, you know, how does this compare to what I, to what you were doing before? Some other questions that you can ask to create more of an engagement. You should lean more on the open-ended questions versus the yes or no questions. Would be besides Sally or besides Nick, who else on your team do you think would need to use this feature? And that's going to get them thinking. And by the way, the person that you're calling out could either be a person that they mentioned earlier on the call or a person that you've done your due diligence pre-demo. When you went on LinkedIn, you saw that like Sally, Nick, or Armand were on their team. Um, so that's one other question. Another question you can you can ask is, um, so it's you mentioned the challenge, whatever that challenge is, and then asking about that feature. So Armand, you had mentioned that you're wasting a lot of time putting in the notes into your CRM earlier on the call. Does this feature align with what you need? Now that's not an open-ended question. That's a yes or no question. But that's a yes or no question that whatever response they give you is either going to give you a check that you're one step closer to the close or you're one step back. So if they say, no, that actually does not align um, or not exactly, then you can't move on until you've solved that problem. If they say, yes, that's exactly what we're looking for, mark a check on your on your to-do list. You're like, okay, now we're closer to the, to the, the treasure box. Another one would be like, after you show a feature, you want to find out overall feedback from that feature. So, hey, uh, Nick, based on this particular feature, are there any aspects of this that you feel like wouldn't work for you? And you may say, no, it looks good. What about Armand? What do you think he's going to say about this feature? And so I'm just getting them to think a little bit because it's, it's a collaboration. Um, and that's how I'm thinking about it. One of the things is in a demo, we talk about the fact that a demo is really just meant to show you that I wasn't lying the whole time when I said I could solve your problems. And so we've dug up three or four problems in discovery. And all I'm going to do is say like, hey, you said this was a problem. Is this correct? You said this is the problem. Does this solve that problem? And so you're creating anchor points throughout your demo. On this point, I know you have some tactics around deciding 
when and how you show things. In other words, like what should I even be showing in a demo because you don't show every single thing? How do I think about carving a path in a demo before I actually show software? Yeah, so then it goes back, so it goes back to the disco. And so without getting like too like super technical, but like typically what you'll find in every SaaS company is there are always two buying scenarios. Either the person is coming from some sort of solution, so maybe a competitor of yours or non-competitor, but it's a solution, or they're coming from nothing. They're they're looking at HubSpot for the first time, right? And so depending on where they're at, you're going to know based on your research and your company and your buyer persona that they have certain challenges that you're dealing with. And so once you find out those challenges by asking the discovery, like, hey, what's the reason you're looking to leave? Would you like to accomplish? When you start your demo, one of the things that I like to say is, hey, Nick, I can show you a lot on the demo, but I'm not going to. Um, it's just going to be overwhelming. So I'm really only going to cherry pick the three items that I think are going to have the biggest impact for you in the shortest period of time. Sound good? And they say, yes, that sounds good. And so that's how I sort of position myself on the demo and I don't show them everything. If there is something that I want to show them because I just think it's good, like the dashboard, I'll say something like, oh, here's the dashboard. It's sort of obvious, but I, th I always like to show this just to give you some context about where everybody uses it throughout the call. But that's sort of pre-demo, like leading up to the demo. And then there is other things that you can do when you're about to show a feature. All right. And so you're saying, hey, these are the three things that I'd like to show going into the demo. And one thing that I struggle with at times as well is that first discovery, I've discovered three or four problems with maybe a champion plus another person. Sometimes they'll add two or three more people onto the demo. And I struggle because, shoot, here are three people I haven't done discovery with who might have different problems. H how do I reconcile that? Do I cut it up half and half and half and do half discovery, half demo in a room of five people? Do I just say, no, I'm gonna do demo discovery? What do I do when there are new people that I don't understand their problems for? If there's more than one person in the room, and I know it, obviously I see it on the calendar, I'll say something like, before we start today's call, I'd like to introduce myself. And it's okay, it's okay with everyone to go around the room and sort of um, introduce yourselves and what you're trying to accomplish out of this. That's option one. This way I'm, I'm getting every other person, the champion, the influencer, the decision maker, to all tell me, hey, my name is so-and-so, I'm the VP of marketing, and the reason why I'm on the call is because of X. Or... I'll say something like, I see that we have Nick, Arman, Sally, and John here. Um, I did a little research and I noticed that Nick, you're the VP of sales at so-and-so. Uh, Arman, you're the head of marketing here. Um, out of curiosity, I'd love to go around the room and, and uh, sort of pick your brain and figure out like what challenges you're you're trying to solve and this way I can know what to show you on the demo. And so I'll, I'll throw the ball on their court and I'll have them do some work also to tell me what to look for. This way I'm not just showing them features that isn't relevant to Nick or Armand, because when that happens, when you don't get that level of discovery, what happens is you get like one or two people on the demo that aren't even paying attention. That's great. I think too many salespeople, they show up to the demo and they've done all of this. Like they had a great discovery call with the champion and they put together, this is exactly what my game plan for the demo is. And they work really, really hard on putting together their game plan and strategy. And then that strategy gets blown up because four other people are in the Zoom room and it's like, oh, I don't know what those three people care about. And so what you're doing is you're starting the demo with, hey, what do you want to get out of this call? What do you want to get out of this call? One thing that I have done pre-demo is um, called each individual stakeholder who I see on the attendee list to say, hey, I see you're on the demo list for next Thursday. Is there anything in particular you really want to get out of the session? I'm trying to be proactive instead of reactive. If you're not as brave as that, you can also send an email to each person to say, hey, can you send me a couple bullet points of what you'd want to cover? Now, sometimes we don't get that. And sometimes people just show up, 
they don't have any context, you don't have any context, and they start to derail our demo. And so I'm curious, like, what do you do in a situation where you've got Armand, who's an analyst, and he's asking you 600 questions about, like, different reporting outputs, and the CFO is also on the call, and you can tell you're losing that person? So the mistake that someone can make, even a VP of sales doing demos or veteran sales rep, is falling, like letting them take control. So I think if they're getting into the weeds of the questions where let's just say you planned, they have one, this particular challenge and you're planning on answering them one, two, three. And then you have somebody that's like an analyst that's starting to ask questions, but it isn't really relevant to what you're planning on showing. What you could say is like, um, I'm on great. I love these questions. Um, I want to be able to give you thorough answers. Would it be okay with you if we did a follow-up call um, to go specifically with those questions? Because I know Nick mentioned that he wants to accomplish X and I plan to show him that. So would that be okay? Um, I would maybe do something like that and to buy myself that buffer. Otherwise, I'm going to lose myself. And and sometimes you do lose yourself on that call. And I, I think like don't beat yourself up over it because I, I don't know how often that happens depending on what type of software you have. But um, that's the way I would do it. I would sort of try to take control by acknowledging the question. I would give the answer. And I would say something like, as far as the other questions, would love to answer. But would it be okay with you if we did a follow-up call and going into details to those questions? And so uh, controlling the room, to your point, is key. And oftentimes what you can do as well is you can control the room prior to even getting there. If you've set up a demo with 10 people, and that includes the financial analyst who just started three days ago and the CFO, that means you did not set up the room correctly. And the questions they're going to have are way below the line. And the questions the CFO is going to have are going to be way up here. And usually the ones who are quiet are the CFOs, and those are the people that you'll lose. And so you can cut up the demo beforehand. But let's say that I haven't done that, right? And I notice that there are some people who are quiet in the room. How do I work the room and make sure that all of the different folks in the room are properly engaged? So let's assume for a minute that you've already done your job of getting doing the orientation of the demo of the discovery like we've got xyz people here what do you guys do um and i and everyone is going to tell me at one point their goals or challenges i will call it out let's just say nick is the quiet one right I, I, and and i and i'm paying attention to that i'd say something like um i'd love to hear from nick um uh, nick you had mentioned earlier on the call that one of the reason one of the things that you'd love to accomplish in the next 90 days is x um i would love to get your input on this what do you think this would do for you uh, or, or who else in your department do you think would use this functionality and so i'm going to leverage nick's responses from earlier and use that to bring it up to light that's awesome that's a really good way to sort of like weave the threads I'm curious, like, are there any other demo pitfalls, areas you see people frequently stumbling in demos? Yeah, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, like, the, the feature dumping, and but, like, what specifically they'll do is um, they'll talk about, you hear, like, the talk about the outcomes and the impact, not the features. And so they don't do that. They talk about the features, and they don't really talk about the outcomes. And I think that's one of the biggest pitfalls because it doesn't lead, like, the demo should be a magic show. People should walk out of demo like, whoa. Like that's intense. It shouldn't be a training session. Um, you can leave that for demo three, demo four, demo five, whatever it is. So in the area where I'm really excited about a feature that addresses somebody's specific problem, what's the right way to describe that feature versus saying, oh yeah, now we have a new calendar view where you can see all of your tasks in a month view. Yeah, so there, there's a framework that I use plus a thing that, like a hack that you can do to practice 
talking about the impact of the feature. So I'll talk about the framework and then the impact. So the framework that you can use for before you actually talk about the feature is number one, recall the challenge from the discovery, and number two, align to the challenge that you solve. So let's use an example of, let's say the prospect is using HubSpot. And I know HubSpot, one of their features in their emails is um, snippets. You can have like a hashtag D and that'll populate all your discovery notes. And the benefit of that feature is it saves the sales rep time to write redundant information. So I'm gonna recall the challenge first to the prospect, and then I'm gonna align the challenge that I'm gonna, that I'm gonna solve. So I'll say something like, hey Nick, earlier on the call you had mentioned that one of the challenges um, as, as a rep, as you're taking notes during demos, is that you're constantly having to write the same notes over and over, right? And you'd say, yeah, okay, cool. So what I'm about to show you will actually cut that time in half. And then I'll talk about the feature. I think the challenge for a lot of reps is getting to the mindset of talking about benefits and then features. So that's one way to do it. Another little basic hack is go open up a Google spreadsheet on column A, write down all the features that you would typically talk about for a particular buyer persona. And in column B, write out the outcomes of those features. And then once you have it, I want you to take column B and switch it with column A. So the first thing you're seeing in column A is really the outcomes. And then the second thing you're seeing is features. And so if you if you study features that way versus what's this feature? What does it do? You're gonna think about it is what is this? What feature is that? Well, what you're doing there is actually something that uh, we were talking about cold calling the other day, Armand, and there's two camps around um, using scripts. And we were talking about it in the context of cold calling. And there's some people who say you should never use a script. And then there's some people who think you should script every single word that you ever say. And what you're doing here actually in the context of demo scripts is you are picking the specific things that you know you're gonna describe time and time again, this feature and the impact of it. And what you're not doing is just shooting from the hip on each feature in terms of how you're going to explain it. You know the words that you are going to say so that you can focus on your tone and cadence and how you emphasize those things. You're not just saying, and yeah, well, and here's our calendar view, it's really, really nice. Actually, on the the point of tone, I know it's something that you're really, really big on. You have some keys to, on how to use tone in a demo. Can you talk about some of the best practices there? Yeah. So tonality is one of those things that make a person like feel different, right? Like I could be like, Armand, and that shows my level of excitement to you. And so the way there, there are three areas of tone that you can leverage on a call, your tone of voice, which is essentially the, your voice sentiment, your emphasis on things. Like if you want to type on an email and you want to say, we have a lot of opportunities, you're going to capitalize a lot, underline it, bold it. And so it stands out. There's a level of contrast. Pace of speech, that's how slow or fast you speak. And then fluctuation of voice, that's how your pitch is either high or low. And so if you're talking about, let's just say you're selling software and one of the pain points of a prospect is migrating data over. And I know in legal tech, that's like a big pain point. And so you, you wanna be able to tell the prospect, let's say that your solution, if they come to you, that they're able to migrate all of their data in your system in less than a day. So you can, if you used no tone of voice, it'll sound something like this. So Nick, if you over, if you were to go to our solution, we'd be able to migrate all of your data in our system in just less than a day. No tone of voice, interesting, cool, whatever. But if you leverage tone of voice, if you use tonality to create contrast in what you're trying to say and emphasis, it'll sound something like this. Nick, if you were to go to our solution, we'll be able to migrate all of your data in our system in just less than a day. It's very different. I'm, I'm stressing the important features of what we can do for you. The other thing that you're doing is is you're speaking in terms of the problems to be solved or the stories that they've told, and that's how you're demoing. A lot of people will say, 
you, you can check this box and your data will migrate from point A to point B. Or you can click this button and all of their managers will see their direct reports or they will see this dashboard. Versus saying, hey, Nick's starting his day. And the first thing that he's waking up thinking about is how the heck is his team doing? And now what you can see right here is I have clear visibility into how every single person on my team is performing today. And I've explained the feature, but in your words, not in my words, in terms of the problems that you told me that you want to solve and the stories that you already told me. Yeah. So just to like piggyback off of what you said, that's really important. The using your words. So I'm a big fan of leveraging the prospects choices of words on your call. So let's say Armand says, yeah, we're looking for a solution this uh, that is uh, more accessible in pricing. This way we're not bleeding money from our wallets. Let's just say bleeding money from our wallets is something that Armand said. So uh, after I show the pricing, I'll say like, um, and Armand, as far as the plans go, I think this plan would be the best fit. This way you wouldn't be bleeding money from your wallets. It's awesome. It's a good way to sort of mirror and make it relatable. It's okay to like explain things in terms that your prospect understands. Like your goal on a demo is for the other person to comprehend that yes, you are indeed telling the truth. More, we're, we're actually running out of time here and we've had a really, really great demo best practices exercise here. We gotta move to our final question. We've talked about a lot of really good things that salespeople should be doing and now we have to flip that on its head and it doesn't have to be about demos, it can be about anything. The final question is, what is one bad habit that you think a lot of salespeople need to ditch because it is hurting them more than it helps? Ditch the deck on the demo, not this on the demo, yeah. Um, I've seen, I've seen uh, reps have an hour long demo and 30 minutes of that hour long demo is a PowerPoint slide about the company and what they're trying to solve and their mission. Ditch it. Beautiful. More, anything you want to plug before we jump off here? Yeah, you can go to my podcast, listen to it. It's also, it's called SaaS Talks from Lead to Close, five minutes an episode. Um, I have monthly specials. Nick, you're on it as, as one of my guests. Armand, I'd love to have you on it too. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Beautiful. Everybody go follow more on LinkedIn and stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes. Your Zoom Info Actionable Insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Your top four takeaways from this episode with more Asuline include number one, when you get onto that call, don't just jump right into the demo. Don't jump right into your deck. Do a proper round of intros and understand why each person is on the call and what they want to get out of that call, which brings us to number two. 
as you are showing features, what you should probably say first is say, hey, these are the three things that you told me, and this is exactly what I'm going to show you, which brings us to number three. As you show these features, make sure that you validate, hey, you told me this problem existed. Does this solve that problem? So bring the discovery back into the demo. And then lastly, number four, justify the questions as you go. The reason that I ask this is X, Y, and Z. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out here? I have not asked for this in a very, very long time, Armand, but if you subscribe to our show, it actually gives Armand a dose of serotonin, even though he doesn't get a notification. And my goal this year is to help Armand smile more. And so please subscribe to the show. You'll give Armand a smile and one day we'll get him to be as happy as me. See you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Sixth Sense. The link is in the show notes.